Jamie, you're noisy. <laughs> I, do, I do want to make a statement, though, about yesterday and the, the, uh, the Grand Prix that we had here with the little car, uh, uh, Pinewood cars. You may hear some discussion and talk about there were a lot of Rolands that happened to take home some medals. Um, this was not intentional. And I will tell you that there was at least this much time that went by afterwards where we felt bad. Um, it was, it was kind of odd when you realized that you were taking pictures of the winners and it was a family picture. Something was, something was a little off here. So, but, uh, I, the, we dug out cars and for, for racing the open class that Zach had built back probably 15 years ago, give or take, and I had built one at the same time for an Awana race. And both of those cars were just neck and neck within a tenth of a second every time they went down the track together. And uh, uh, it was it was just kind of odd to see that that they, it's just like they've been sitting in a box for 15 years going, thank you, and they're just taking off down the track. So it was a good experience yesterday. <clears throat> well, the last time that we got together and we were in the Book of Acts, it had been a few weeks ago, but we had, um, we had been in, in chapter 12, I believe, and we had just gone through um, the account of Peter uh, being rescued from prison, and we had talked about how, um, uh, I believe, the, the servant girl named Rhoda um, had went to tell everybody that, that Peter was at the gate and uh, that he had been that their prayers had been answered that he had been he had been liberated and of course they had a hard time believing that even though they were praying for such a thing to occur uh, but but long about the end of this this whole account and section in, in verse 18 uh, we come to the part where it uh, it tells us in verse 18 says that now when day came there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter and so while there's a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of levity, if you will, of folks not uh, understanding that Peter had truly been liberated, things start to get a little serious in verse 18 of chapter 12. And in verse 19, it tells us that after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to, to Caesarea and spent time there. And uh, I wanted to, to come back in at this point uh, because obviously as, as, is, as is, was typical uh, under Roman, Roman law, if, uh, if prisoners escaped and you were on guard, then you would face the penalty that the prisoners may have faced. And so in this case, um, uh, Herod chose to uh, have the guards put to death. And the next account that we come into, it goes straight into the death of Herod and, and how he met his demise. Um, and I just find it interesting that after we find that he puts two, two, uh, two guards to death, now we're going to read about what happens to him. Um, so any comments on that, that ending there of, of Peter's account and the guards uh, being put to death before we get into new material this morning? I better do a count real quick, too. I always forget to do that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty
All right, let's go ahead and get into uh, verse 20 here. It says, Now Herod was angry with the people of, <coughs> of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, after, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So I don't know what had taken place between the people of, of Tyre and Sidon that had caused them to have problems with, um, with Herod. But obviously they depended upon the supplies coming from Herod in order to give them what they needed to fill their bellies. And so this gives us some sort of a, of a, of a feeling here that they had gotten to uh, Blastus and had either convinced him or bribed him or done something to get them an audience with Herod so that they could come in and perhaps butter him up a little bit and try to smooth over this political problem that existed so that they could, could get back their, their supply chain and continue to, to feed the people. <coughs> and so they were coming to him to ask for, to ask for peace and uh, to see what they could work out. On verse 21, it says, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. So he, he has prepared himself well. He has gotten himself up on his throne, and he has started to give him a little bit of a speech. And um, there's a little bit more context added to this uh, when you go back and take a look at, in some of the commentaries, um, Josephus, the, uh, the, the Jewish uh, historian, who wrote a lot about what was going on during these times, uh, while, it, while it's not biblical, we can use it to, to kind of sometimes add some additional, additional context. Um, but apparently he was, he was wearing, uh, Josephus adds that he was wearing robes that were made of silver that sparkled in the sun, and, the, and that sparkling provoked the crowd's acclamation. So if you can imagine Herod coming in to sit down in front of the, the congregation that has come to, to talk to him about, about reestablishing the supply chain, and he walks out literally all high and mighty. I mean, he's wearing these gorgeous robes that sparkle in the sun, and he's, he's got an air about him uh, that, that literally is, he knows he is king, is kind of the, uh, the, the, the picture we get painted here. So it says in verse 22, the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. So they were essentially attributing to him uh, a higher power, saying that he is a God because he is speaking to them in this terminology and in this, this, you know, this, this elevated presence, if you will. And so obviously if you're, if you're there to try and negotiate uh, a peace with him and you want to be favored and looked upon favorably, well, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to butter him up a little bit. And, and so the first thing, the, the, or at least the most important thing that's recorded here is that they say the voice of a God and not of a man. And so that's, that's, that's just got to puff him up a whole lot more when you think that's exactly where I want to be. That's, that's how I want to be looked upon. Thank you for recognizing my true worthiness. And maybe I'm giving him too much, but I don't think so. 
But then the verse 23 really takes a turn. It says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give the glory, give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Um, a rather abrupt ending to this glorious moment of a king. Now you have to understand, obviously, there's there's a this this just kind of wraps it up, right? Clearly, it didn't at that very moment. He wasn't struck down at that very moment and de decomposed in front of them. There, the, the, the connotation here is that, is that something happened to him at this moment. He either became ill, whatever it may be. Josephus records that he, re that he, he suffered from some sort of an affliction of the bowel and died four days later. So I, I kind of envision putting those together that he's in the midst of all of this. Go ahead, Mary. Um, this is gross, but I assumed it was like intestinal worms because they said first he had worms and then he died. And then he died. Yeah, this is very, very, and then that would go together with what Josephus is um, is, is reporting in in his book of, of Jewish antiquities that um, that he died of an intestinal affliction, and it was four days later. So yeah, I think that all that all goes hand in hand. <coughs> but but don't you have this picture of him being at that puffed up moment, and then all of a sudden he realizes, oh, and something happens, and he doubles over in pain or whatever it may be, uh, because I do get the picture from scripture here. He immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. So this was your moment. This was this was your designated time for this to come to an end. And it was at the height of probably his, his emotional um, uh, feelings with regard to how great that he most uh, probably thought that he was. Uh, and so, so what, do we, what do we get from this? Why is this? There were a lot of people at that time, I promise you, that died. A lot of people at that time that probably died of intestinal worms. I mean, these are this is something that I'm sure went on far more prevalent then than it does now. Why are we? Why is this account here for us in this in this detail? And why is it that the way the scriptures read is that God is to essentially be given the credit for his downfall, if you will? How, how it reads to us that an angel of the Lord struck him down. Why is that something we should pay attention to here? How can we draw a parallel here to today and apply it to what we see now? And, and, and what lesson do we pull from that? 22 is a God and 23 is the God. Oh, yes. Yeah. So if there's 22, they're just grouping together with a bunch of people. But God didn't like that either. God didn't like that either. But again, with the same same group of people, and he said he had no other gods before. I mean, that doesn't mean he's number. That he needs to be number one. The other number two. He needs to, he's the only one. He's the only one. That is it. That is absolutely it. And so, yeah, but that's a good point, Jim. That that they weren't they weren't necessarily giving him that that credit. As being greater than the God, but putting him lump sum with a God, 
but in that whole picture, I still think that it it puffed him up and, and elevated his, his ego. And when you, you take into account what Jim just said, is this not evidence, is this not given to us as proof that God will take care of these people? If you are wondering ever, if you have any doubts ever, that someone in, who is acting this way who is not giving God the glory for the things that take place is, is elevating himself and his pride above God. Take note, your day is coming. We may not witness it, but God will deal with these people in the way that he has promised that he will deal with them. <coughs> Anything else from anyone, Mary? Well, these people, it's, I don't think it's all the same Karen, but they, that dynasty is responsible for killing all the babies. Oh, yeah. During the time of Jesus' birth, uh, killing John the Baptist, uh, that he even talked to Jesus. Uh, so, you know, you can't escape, you can't get away with doing that kind of stuff in the long run. No. God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. Maybe not in the timing people then would have expected, but we definitely see him being brought to justice, you could say, or the whole dynasty. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really good point. And you know, take take what you said along with what Jim said, and I'm going to read you a, a, a little blurb here from uh, uh, commentary. It says it says he did not give glory to the Lord. So this whole scene was nothing but idolatry. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will give, I will not give to another. So instead, in, instead of instead of Peter being killed by Herod, it was Herod who was killed by Peter's God. It says perhaps the same angel who delivered Peter also smote the king. Uh, Herod contracted some affliction in his bowels and died five days, not four days, my apologies, five days later, according to Josephus. And this was in AD 44. He says, this is more than a slice of, of ancient history because it typifies the world as people, as its people. Guys, I can't read or even speak today. It typifies the world and its people today. The citizens of Tyre and Sidon were concerned about only one thing, getting sufficient food to feed their stomachs. To be sure, food is essential for life, but when we pay any price to get that food, we're doing wrong. By flattering the king and calling him a god, the delegation knew that they could get what they wanted. And uh, this is Wearsby says, I cannot help but see in King Herod an illustration of the future man of sin who will one day rule the world and persecute God's people or the Antichrist. He will make himself God and will command the worship of the whole world, but Jesus Christ will return and judge him and those who follow him. So there's a, a Wearsby sees in, in this depiction of Herod um, a, a type of the Antichrist that is to come and how he's commanding this worship, but in the end, God will have his way. Mary. There's no indication there that, that, that anybody really expected him to give God's glory. No. Why would he? Exactly. Why would he? Yeah, I've I've done it. I've done it my own way up to now. Look how good it's look how good it's going, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, why would he? <coughs> right? I think it's significant that it was the people of Sidon, mm-hmm. the princess of Sidon, Jezebel, in the Old Testament, mm. is like the queen of idolatry. Yeah. And then, you know, like later in Revelation, we have that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's definite connection there. It seems like there's no accident that those people have had multiple gods for a long time. Right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's probably no surprise to people that it would be those people that were talking. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, pro- well, we say, we say that, but um, no surprise. But my goodness, how many times do we talk about how people just didn't get it? You know, one thing after another, after another, after another. And, uh, and they continue to be surprised. Oh, no. Why are, we, why are we in the midst of this? Why is this happening to us? Why did, well, didn't God tell you? Well, yeah, he did. Well, did you listen? Well, no, we didn't. You know, it's uh, it really and truly, when you look at God's people and you look at that relationship between parent and child, and, and you think so often when you have a, have a young child and the child disobeys and, and you punish them and they disobey again and you punish them and they disobey again. And, and, and until they reach a level of maturity and understanding, the cycle continues and sometimes that's that's why you know with with our our children when it comes to driving when it comes to certain things in their life where as parents Ann and I feel like it's it's more than just the number of your age that matters it's the level of maturity that you that that we think you have and can you handle this experience so, so we have we have tried to parent in such a way that we look at maturity and the way that the, that the child responds to things, and not just go well. Uh, and I'm using driving as an experience as, a, as an example. But you're 16; the law says you can do it. Go do it. You know, our kids have been have, have not have not worked in that way, and uh, um, that's why I think we see adults behaving as children so frequently in society because their maturity just isn't there. And, and it's in different places. God's people suffer from that same thing. Um, we have, we have, have, have literally beat to death this t- topic and idea of uh, maturing as a Christian on Wednesday nights and in some other studies that we've been doing. But it, it, it holds so much validity when you look at what happens when you mature as a Christian, how you respond to situations, how you look at God. Um, and how you, you start to realize what God is worthy of and how you give God the praise that he deserves. And we, so we talk about meekness when we look at Jesus on the cross last week and talked about how he, how he behaved toward those who were, who were literally crucifying him. Um, there's this, this whole picture of maturity versus lack of maturity and how it should look versus how it does look. And, and we just see this played out over and over in Scripture. And it, and it tends to go back to we're, we're children, you know? We just, don't, we just don't get it. We just don't get it. Well, that was a soapbox moment. I'll go back to Scripture here. All right. Anything else uh, before we continue on through this here? But you never give up on your children. You always give them another chance. Exactly. Yeah. Now, are you trying to make a point, Doug? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well taken, sir. Well taken. <coughs> yep. God continues to give us opportunities to come back to him. 
So we've read here about the demise of Herod and what has taken place. In verse 24, it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. So we know that through all of these things that are happening, all the persecution that's gone on, everything that has taken place, remember God's in the midst of all of this, and God's word continues to grow. People continue to believe. God's church is spreading. And so in verse 25, we find the beginning of what's about to happen here with, with Saul slash Paul and him beginning his missionary journeys. Uh, it says in verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, <clears throat> where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So that wraps up that section. Chapter 13 is our next chapter, where Barnabas and Saul are sent off. There's a lot that we will read here, probably not discuss a ton, um, because it, it it gives us, as we read on through uh, chapter 13, the, the account of how Paul uh, saw, if whichever point we're reading here, because his name, he does begin to be recognized by his Roman name, uh, Paul, as we proceed through here. But we start to see how he witnesses to folks and, and how he shares the gospel with them and leads them up to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and how the scriptures clearly proclaimed that Jesus was coming, Jesus came, and now it is your duty and here is your opportunity to accept him. Um, so in, in, let's go ahead and read in chapter 13. It says, Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the, the, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, Let's look at a couple things from this from this little uh, section here. We know that in the church of Antioch there were designated offices of prophets and teachers, and it starts to talk about Barnabas, and then it mentions Simeon, which I think is interesting. Um, Simeon was probably from Africa. Um, Niger is a word that means that means black or dark, and so that's how they referred to him. Um, Cyrene is also an African country. So Lucius was probably also from, from Africa. <coughs> so there's a, there's a picture here of a, of a mixture of, of believers, a mixture of folks um, in the early church. And then we find that, that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, that the Holy Spirit led them in a, a direction uh, to prepare and set aside Barnabas and Saul uh, to start their 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 missionary work to the Gentiles. And um, when it tells us in verse 3 that after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off, probably not just the, the ones who are mentioned here, but the whole congregation were involved in this. And it's a, um, it's a way of commissioning them. It's a way of doing a physical uh, representation of, of, of commissioning them and passing on the, the power of the Holy Spirit to them to go and do their work and to start witnessing as they have been called to witness. And so we see 
Saul and Barnabas begin their journey um, going out to, to witness. Now, Paul's going to continue doing here what we know Paul does, and, and we read elsewhere that Paul continues to do. He's going to go to the synagogues, and he's going to start teaching, as, as Jesus did. And he's going to start delivering word to those in the synagogues. So let's read a couple verses here and talk about that. It says in verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So let's, let's just pause for a moment and talk about that so that we have a good understanding of why this took place. Why did they go to the synagogues, and why were they, would they start by proclaiming the word there? What's significant? Just make sure we have an understanding of, of why this works. Yeah, that's 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 part of, certainly a part of the thought process. Um, is that you know the 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 Jew gets converted to to the Christian, um, and and so then who are you going to find in the synagogues? The Jews, they're there. What should they know already? Hey, the promise is done. They should. So that 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 then that implies that they know and understand what <coughs> the Old Testament, yeah. right? So they 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 should know it, they should trust it, they should understand it. Great, they have a foundation, and we can we can work with that foundation. And so Paul's going to come in, and he's going to essentially reinterpret that foundation for them, and help them to understand what they're missing and open their eyes <coughs> to what it is that has taken place and what they should already know. And so we'll start with this account here. I'm, I'm going to try to, to just read to the bottom of this, this section down to the end of verse 12. And we can have a little discussion on that, and we'll probably wrap there this morning. It says, um, When they had gone through the whole island as far as, far as Paphos, <clears throat> they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the pro-consul Sergius Paulus, I'll get this right, I promise you, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So in other words, they had asked them to come in because they wanted to hear what it was that they had to say. It says, but Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So we have another situation where we have a magician here, a one who has one who is 
by what Paul is, is, is stating, uh, perhaps calling upon some, some powers from Satan to achieve some of his things, um, or perhaps he's saying that because he's trying to dilute and confuse the word of God, and clearly that's what Satan does. Um, but he's stepping into, into this because he's concerned that if they start to believe on Christ and accept the word that, um, that Barnabas and Paul are bringing to them, that he will lose his position of power. So we continue to see this, this struggle we continue to see this all through Scripture. Folks who are in certain positions of social power, who are in positions of economic power, they get, they get afraid that they'll lose that power the moment that Christianity starts to come into the picture. Because as soon as people's eyes get opened up, they start to see things clearly and things start to change. And so he had a concern that that was going to happen. And I love this. Will you stop? Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That brings to mind all kinds of things that he must have been saying. Because if they're coming in saying, "Look, here's 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 what you're going to be saved," even though they're laying all this out and, and explaining everything, they're saying, "Here, this is it. Do this." Is he not maybe coming in and saying, "Well, yeah, but first, or what about this, or what about that?" And continually throwing up questions and confusion. And, and the reason I, I say that it, he could be referring to that as act of Satan, what did Satan do in the garden? What did the serpent do in the garden? God's command was straightforward. Don't do this. And Satan starts to throw these questions out. Well, have you thought about this? Well, maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's, look, it's like, it's like the message I did on simplicity, right? There's, there's a very straight path that God gives you. And when all of these things start coming in, causing that path to look like this, something's wrong. Something's wrong. In fact, if you want to think about a crooked path resembling a serpent, I think you can easily come back to Satan is involved in this. God's path is a straight path. God's path is very simple. And even though we can make it as complicated as we want to, it really boils down to some very simple concepts. Any comments or, or questions there? There. So, it's, when I'm reading this, I'm picturing them in the synagogue. Mm. And there's two sorcerers here, right? There are two, yes. I've always thought of uh, them encountering <coughs> sorcerers like in the street, not inside the synagogue, yeah. inside the church. So, I just thought that. Yeah, it seems, it seems very odd, does it not? Yeah, it really does. And that that's part of it. That's part of it. So yeah, there are two here. <coughs> but note too that 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 the text tells us that uh, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit when he began this. So he was he was at a moment where he was completely in tune and being guided by uh, the Holy Spirit. To, to deliver the words that he was going to deliver. And he pulled no punches. He pulled no punches. So uh, that's a good point for us to wrap up so folks can come in. Um, we'll pick up there and we'll continue discussing this. And then we'll, we'll read through the remainder probably of chapter 13 and do uh, an overview of what Paul is sharing and how he's leading them to the truth of the gospel and what that all means 
for the foundations of the church and the word spreading to the Gentiles. Uh, that is, if I have any voice left next week. So <laughs> these allergies are just absolutely eating me alive. I don't, <clears throat> I'm, I'm never, <clears throat> I won't say never, but I haven't had this much trouble in a long time. So um, I'm going to, and rather than close, I'm going to ask um, Jamie, would you say a closing prayer for us, please? Thank you. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time to gather in fellowship and learning of your word and our study of your holy truth. We pray that we can take these thoughts and these uh, insights that we discuss, and hopefully they're guided by your, your actual truth, and that we can find foundation in them to keep growing in our walk with you and your son Jesus. Please be with the uh, <coughs> pastor today and we with the message and help us all to hear what we need to hear and help any of those who have not yet come to accept your son as the Lord and Savior. Please step forward and do so today. Please be with us all as we leave here today and help us have another great week ahead and be with us, give us travel mercies where needed and help us uh, keep you at the center of our hearts as we go through the week, as we become so distracted and, and as we always do, we get lost in our own ways of trying to lead ourselves and not put you at our center and be our guiding Please forgive us in all the ways we fail you and all the ways we sin. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs>